Hello and welcome to The Intentional Clinician. I'm your host, Paul Kraus, Licensed Professional Counselor. In today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Benjamin Reesterer, who is also a Licensed Professional Counselor in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Benjamin earned a double major in Psychology and Family Studies from Cornerstone University and a Master's in Counseling from Spring Arbor University. He is a member of the American Counseling Association and also a U.S. Navy CB veteran of the war in Afghanistan. He is also the founder and creator of Medify, an Android and iOS app designed to help promote mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and body awareness. Benjamin has extensive experience walking alongside people facing a number of challenges ranging from depression, anxiety, grief, and loss, cultivating meaning and purpose, working through life changes, relationship issues, trauma, sexual abuse, sexual identity, and neglect. Benjamin takes a holistic approach to the work of counseling and strives to hold a space where emotions, symptoms, and thoughts can be accurately, safely, and curiously explored as he believes they hold messages meant to be acknowledged, understood, and integrated. All right, welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks. It's good to be here. Excellent. So I'm very excited to introduce our listeners to your app, Medify, which I've been using and actually recommending to people. Thank you. In my practice. I love it. It's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so I really want to know how you came up with this app and all of that. But before we get into that, um, how do we know each other? Uh, well, we met when you and Dr. Kane moved into the same building that I practice out of. So uh, I think you're, what, four doors down from where we're at? So we're, we're neighbors. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Professional neighbors. <laughs> yeah, we are. You work at Mindful Counseling mm-hmm. of Grand Rapids. And between us is an osteopathic or something clinic that yeah. makes body parts body parts, and <laughs> likes to be really loud. Yeah. And then uh, we have Health for Life Grand Rapids right on the other side of it. So we're here in Grand Rapids uh, doing similar work, but also quite different, uh, different mm-hmm. approaches. So right. I think it's kind of a cool thing that we have a lot of people in the same area helping each other out. And you also bought me Thai food, which you won me over with. Yeah, Thai food. Uh, there's a little great Thai restaurant right around the corner from us, and it's they know me by name, and they know my dish. They know. <laughs> Let's just plug them right now. What are they? Let's go um, here. Uh, Little Bangkok. Little Bangkok. Yeah. All right. So if you're hungry, go to Little Bangkok. There you go. <laughs> All right. So basically, I want to know a little bit about your story, and that can mean anything about how you got into counseling, how you got here today, uh, why you decided to develop an app. So just I'm kind of turn it over to you, whatever comes into your mind. Yeah. So like getting into counseling for me... Um, was something was very much a kind of a gut feel. Um, during my undergrad years, the first year or two years there, it was just kind of bouncing around from major to major and couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do. I really liked the psychology classes, but was uh, kind of scared about the fact that I didn't feel I'd make any money. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so I kept bouncing around to different things and eventually ended up taking one of those uh, career aptitude tests type things. And it just came back as like, you need to be a counselor. And that was my gut feeling leading into it. So I was just like, well, why did I spend money on this test? Like, <laughs> I should have just went with this anyway. So I did. Um, and it took a long time to get to where I'm at because uh, I didn't have a lot of money. So I finished up my undergrad. I started working at a, a shelter care for abused and neglected kids. Um, kind of ran out of money at that time. Got married. Joined the military because I knew I needed to uh, probably use a GI Bill to pay for my master's degree. Um, that was a big point in my life, changed a lot of my kind of outlook on things and uh, how I show up in the world. Um, then as soon as I got back from Afghanistan, uh, just dove right into my master's program. And uh, when I finished that, uh, I've been in private practice ever since. So private practice since about 2014. 
Um, so a few years now. But that's kind of how I got into counseling. Yeah. Um, very high level overview. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to ask a few questions. I guess uh, mm-hmm. sounds like you did this sort of the original or not the original way the traditional way of yeah. kind of paying for things as you go. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many counselors out there are still holding on to student loan <laughs> <Yeah>. debt, <laughs> but I might still be paying for my master's. We'll see. Yeah. That's personal information. But I want to know a little <laughs> bit about this uh, going to war and maybe how that affected your unique perspective in the world and also in your work. Yeah. So I grew up in a very kind of traditional uh, Christian Republican kind of home. Um, very loving family, good family, all that kind of stuff. But just kind of my outlook was very kind of conservative. Um, so when I went into the military, it was just kind of like, this is something I'm doing to serve my country. I also get the GI Bill, do all these kinds of things. We're a force for good in the world, American exceptionalism, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then while I was in, started to kind of really recognize that we're kind of in a lot of different things all over the world. Um, and that's not always the best thing. We're not always doing the best things and sometimes cause a lot of problems and issues. Um, and I think that comes more from the high-level kind of political realm as opposed to the people that are going in um, truthfully just trying to serve their country. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's a lot of really good people that I met and some really good relationships that I still have, um, but really started to see that we can cause a lot of damage just kind of by going into countries and doing uh, being in cultures that we don't really understand and trying to impose certain points of view that may benefit us, but really kind of mess things up over there. Um, that doesn't mean anything bad about the people that I was with or there. I just think it's a misunderstanding of different cultures kind of coming together and, and doing things. But we, So that really started to change my outlook on, okay, how do we engage with other people? And I was a CB, which means the construction battalion, which is a really weird background for a therapist, <laughs> I think. Um, but one cool thing that I got to do over there was get to, I got to work side by side with a lot of the, the locals in Afghanistan and uh, like we dug wells and built birthing and, and uh, repaired a lot of uh, damaged buildings and things like that and just got to kind of communicate with them and just be with them. Um, and they're just like every normal, everyday normal people that you run into around here. They just kind of want to feed their families, do their thing, and, and live a happy life. Um, they just they have a very different culture, um, which we don't. I don't think we understand it, um, and I don't think we agree with all of it, but... They're just they're just people too, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. So, so that, did that open up your eyes to coming from the United States and uh, growing up in the United States? I remember I'm a child of the early '80s, and I was told and convinced for years that we're number one in this, we're number one in this, mm-hmm. we're the best. Um, we have to be really proud of that. We need to trumpet that. Everyone else sucks. We're number one. I mean, this is a game on the playground. Yeah, yeah. We'd play different countries, and the United States would always win, and we'd always, like, cheat. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there'd be, like, ten of us against, you know, the kid playing France, and yeah. we'd just tackle him. Yeah, we had, like, the Gulf War trading cards and all that kind oh of stuff. Oh, my gosh, yeah, the Gulf War <laughs> trading cards. And, I mean, I have nothing but respect for uh-huh. anyone who's served in our military. Uh, both my grandfathers were veterans of World War II, mm-hmm. and... Uh, even then, before then, uh, one of my grandfathers was a veteran of World War One, but he was actually in Germany at the time. But yeah, it was yeah. drafted against his will. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's it seems to be that there there is a message taught to us when we we're little that other people are either not as cool as us, not as smart as us, or not as good as us, and we're almost like rejecting ideas uh, from yeah. other countries and, and cultures. Yeah, I think it kind of just goes back to tribalism, right? Like everybody wants to be a part of our thing. And if 
we're together and our thing, everybody else is kind of wrong and bad. I mean, you can look at it from any side of the, uh, the even with the war on terrorism right now, like if you talk to some people, these people are freedom fighters. If you talk to other people, they're terrorists, right? Right. <laughs> it's just kind of a perspective of where you're coming from. Um, and it's, it, I mean, that's on any side of any conflict that you find yourself in. Both sides feel that they're right. Uh, so I think you really have to look at, I mean, sports can be tribalism. And then you can go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and have war where there's actual death and destruction right. and property damage and all kinds of things that go wrong. Um, and the stakes are much higher. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the baseline for it. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I remember kind of feeling that whole thing too before going, uh, well, growing up and then before going to war and uh, joining the military. But um, I still think there is a, I, mean, I, do, I do believe America is a good country and a great country overall. Oh, sure. And a lot, of, a lot of good things do come out of here. But like anything, there's a good and there's a bad. Just like the individual, there's a, a shadow side and then there's a, a light side. And I think we need to really pay attention to and look at both of those with eyes wide open as opposed to just saying we're all good. Everything we do is good. <laughs> yes, and that this is not what this interview is about, but it just sparked it, is that at, the United States has so much intelligence, brain power, money, mm-hmm. research facilities. Um, our military has the largest budget of any military ever. I think we're beating the Roman Empire right now, well, yeah, if I mean, you calculate. We have a bigger military budget than, like, I think the next several countries combined. I think, yeah, it's like the next 20 combined. Yeah, I don't something know. crazy. We, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not quoting. Someone's going to email us yeah, about yeah. that. But I, it just seems to me that we have such an, a duty to to uphold peace and order, but we also have an opportunity to not just show force yeah. and be beating everyone up, but uh, we could invest in people that understand culture and I think they probably do this to some extent. I just don't think it's that large of a department or else we wouldn't be in these quagmires. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's true. And I think we also need to pay more attention to kind of what's going on here at home and the people that we do send over. Like the, I mean, you look at the VA, there's, there's a lot of money that's spent on it, but it's not very efficient. And a lot of, a lot of people fall through the cracks and it takes a long time for people to get health care. It takes a long time for people uh, to get mental health care. Uh, it, 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 breaks families apart on off, um, on a lot of occasions. And there's just a lot of things that happen to veterans that go over involved in these things and then come back and uh, sometimes they're forgotten. And that's that's not okay. And I think that's I think if we start there first and take care of our own people and really kind of look at how these things are affecting our people, it might kind of give us a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a sober realization of kind of how, what are we doing around the world? Um, in the Vietnam conflict, one thing that I find interesting is a lot of it was televised, so there was a, a, a big pushback against what was going on. And I think the pushback was overstated where it kind of lumped in the soldiers into the right. the, the disagreement with what was going on. So a lot of the soldiers kind of got uh, put into a negative category when they are just trying to serve their country. And I think we've moved to a different side of it now where, where we're starting to realize that we can separate our support for uh, soldiers and people in these conflicts versus what politicians and what our country overall is doing. And I think we really need to start to to bring more of an eye on, on what we're actually doing. I don't, I don't think the news does a good job right now of covering what our actual impact in the world is right now at the, the base individual kind of family level. Like families are getting, I mean, we do a drone attack. We all kind of know about collateral damage and things like that. But we say those types of words because it's easier to say that than, yeah, we, we took out this one guy but we also destroyed a whole neighborhood, which is a lot of uh, money and security. We also destroyed some other people that were innocent, which is going to p- 
piss off a lot of other people and just create right. a bigger problem. Perpetuate the cycle of violence. Exactly. And it's just, it's, it's not always the answer. Right. And there's a lot of, these are huge global topics. Um, I guess I, I appreciate your very thoughtful answers on them. I agree that we do need to start at home and look what we're, look at what we're doing, look at statistics mm-hmm. such as, um, we are definitely not the healthiest country by any means. There's healthcare, which is the field we're in. And I do believe a lot of research could be spent on trying to shift that and also using uh, veterans to give them really good jobs when they come home from war or being sort of placed in military bases around the world uh, to help our cities uh, and rural communities, um, infrastructure and education. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think these are priorities that are not being upheld by kind of the leaders of our country. Yeah. And that goes for all leaders in the past, I don't know, number of years. It just doesn't seem to be an emphasis in terms of follow the money. I always say follow the money. So yeah. if you don't well, see money there, what's happening? Yeah, I think you're right. Like you, politicians aren't incentivized to look at, at home. They're incentivized to uh, build a bigger military budget because there's jobs that are created from that from home. There's all kinds of uh, deals that politicians make to continue to have uh, things that the, that the Pentagon itself says, we don't need this, but they, you keep finding these things in the budget over and over and over again um, because it's, it's good for votes. <laughs> so right. there's, there's some incentives in place that are kind of uh, uh, make things worse as opposed to make things better. And veterans as a whole, I mean, what is it, 1% or 2% of the population? It's not a huge voting block. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, even though we do pay a lot of lip service to it, um, that, I think that's where it starts to break down. And that's another thing that I think veterans can get frustrated with. I know I have, and I know a number of my friends have too, that just like, you say all these great things about us, but like, where's the follow through? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And the follow through, again, follow the money. And yeah, we'll look exactly. at the VA and the state mm-hmm. the VA's in and all the audits they've done on them. I was working for two different organizations that gave free services to veterans. Mm-hmm. I will, they will remain nameless mm-hmm. uh, because I don't want to get in some sort of libel issue. <laughs> but I, I was giving free counseling to veterans, um, uh, and I was living in Arizona. There's a lot of veterans in Arizona. A lot of uh, we have a bunch of Air Force bases yep. there, and a lot of post-traumatic stress, but not just that. Um, just really trying to ha- having trouble finding a place after they um, were discharged, uh, trying to find a place in the workspace, trying to adjust back to society and culture when they're used to being in this sort of team environment with all your friends, not friends, but your comrades around you Mm -hmm. and having that direction and trying to figure out, oh my gosh, I have no direction now. I don't like my boss. Mm -hmm. I can't respect him. So there's that they've lost, you know, in the military, you you, ideally would respect the people giving you orders Mm -hmm. and and your... um, your colleagues or fellow soldiers would build you up kind of like a team. This is my understanding. And then when they go into the workforce, it's like they're disillusioned, yeah. um, working in some office job, having a lot of difficulties with that. And then also just in general, um, having trouble figuring out their purpose after the military and mm-hmm. feel, and then feeling betrayed by the VA and other things. And so I would see them not in the VA, but in outpatient therapy paid for for free by these couple of organizations. But then both of these organizations, I mean, one of them still going strong, supposedly, according to marketing, but they both just kind of stopped funding mm-hmm. the soldiers. So we were forced to sort of 
you know, give, which is fine. I've given free counseling to plenty of people, but mm-hmm. I had to make a choice ethically to give free counseling because both organizations were so disorganized that they couldn't even take the referrals. Yeah. And so I was thinking, these are both private organizations. Uh, what, why did, you know, I don't know. It's something with power. Who was ever at the top? Yeah. They had funding. I know that much. Mm-hmm. And they did some good things, taking people out to reconnect and do retreats. But it was unfortunate because they were supposed to be making up for the VA. And then when those programs failed a few soldiers, they were even more angry. Yeah. And I remember them talking to me about it. So I think we have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And this is the global level we were just talking about. But I think this interview is going to go to the individual level and the micro level. We're working with individuals and families one-on-one. Yeah. Your app, of course, can reach individuals all over the world. I, I was curious, um, just before we move into talking about your, your work and your app, uh, how do you think, I mean, I heard a little bit about that working in the military humanized Afghanistan people for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't just some sort of news story anymore. They were people working alongside you in the Navy, but is there any other part of being in the war and being a part of the culture of veterans that has influenced your work? Um, I think some of the experiences that I had overseas, just seeing uh, if somebody passed away, kind of how the veteran community kind of comes around um, and really kind of has a tight-knit relationships with each other. Um, I think that's kind of, that's definitely impacted me. Um, I think it's really impacted me to see kind of as people come home, the different um, uh, frustrations <laughs> that they have to deal with that are a little bit different than the, uh, the average person in the population. Um, and so that's really impacted me to try to want to like, okay, how can I, how can I help with these types of things? Um, I was fortunate enough to, I, I didn't have to deal with PTSD or anything like that coming home, but it was, it was a hard transition coming back home, right? Like my daughter was two or three when I got home. So she's about uh, one or two when I left. Um, and so my wife was essentially a single mom, um, kind of learned how to be a single mom, live life a certain way. And then here I come, I'm like, all right, let's, we're, how do we do this now? <laughs> right. So she has to That's completely huge. like refigure out how I fit in and I have to figure out how I fit in. And my daughter has to figure out who I am and <laughs> right. that kind of stuff. So, and yeah. I was very fortunate. My wife is amazing and did like, before I left, we videotaped me like reading stories and all that kind of stuff. So she would show those to my daughter on a fairly regular basis and um, to talk about me with her and have pictures and all that kind of stuff. So my daughter knew who I was and knew my voice and kind of knew my mannerisms from the videos and all that kind of stuff. And so when I came home, it was a pretty quick integration back with her, but there definitely was some like, okay, you were doing these, you were paying these bills, you were doing that, all this other stuff. Like what's my role now? And I think that's another thing that veterans can kind of feel frustrated. in is like life went on when they were gone and they Mm -hmm. came back and like, Mm -hmm. So what's my role here now? <laughs> like right. In the military, you have a very defined role, and this is your job, and you do this, and you do it well, and people rely on you, and people appreciate you for it, and you come home, and it's like, I, it, where, do I where do I go? <laughs> where do you get that validation? Yeah, exactly. And I can, I can only assume, I wasn't, I don't know, but I'm assuming you get feedback regularly yeah. from your superiors. Yeah, I mean, while we're overseas, I mean, there's definitely all kinds of feedback <laughs> positive sure <and> negative. <laughs> sure but but it's it's cl- more clear yeah, yeah. Some, uh, yeah i'm assuming then this is what your wife doing. isn't formally saying attention <laughs> ben yeah 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 we don't muster every morning your <laughs> your cleaning <laughs> was less than you know good and you know yeah, yeah. Uh, you know uh, but your grocery shopping was exceptional <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, it may be nebulous and then learning how to deal with a culture where i'm assuming you were around 
I mean, I, I know I've met female veterans and I'm friends with one of them, but there wasn't as many females in the military as males. So you're around this kind of male culture coming back to integrate into a home with your daughter and your wife. That's got to be a big change up, too. Yeah, I mean, the unit that I was in, there was a there was a few females. Um, and I mean, they were just part of the unit, right? Like it. Sure. I mean, at least from my perspective, I, the, the gender thing didn't they did just as good of a job as anybody else. Oh, right. So, of course. Um, so, I mean, I. I see your point. I, that wasn't really an issue for me, okay. I don't think. Um, but I could imagine it would be for some people. But well, Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, working on... Uh, I, I don't know how often in the military they're saying, all right, report, Ben, yeah. emotions, how are you feeling today? <laughs> Not really. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. So what I mean is like when you go home in a relationship, whether yeah, yeah. whether you're married to a man or a woman or whatever, mm-hmm. or you're not married and you're living with somebody, whoever you're with... A lot, a very important part of relationships is communication and also just kind of reading each other's emotions. Yeah, and having and open dialogue. About that's what I was kind of more going yeah, for, gotcha. not as much the gender thing. Yeah, so that but, was, I think that is difficult. I mean, I'm, obviously I had training before I went uh, and that kind of stuff, and it, it's a big part of who I am. Right. So it, I think for me, I had a leg up on that, just because yeah. it's kind of naturally who I am. But I, yeah, it definitely is one of those things that I've talked about friends with, and they come back and it's like, who's my wife? Like, how do I connect with her? And like, Yeah. How, like... Date nights are okay, but like <laughs> when we're at home, things just are frustrating. Um, and she seems upset, or I'm upset, but I don't know how to bring it up and all that kind of it's, stuff. So. It seems like you were equipped with a lot of tools before you went overseas yeah. to handle the emotional impact, and luckily did not develop PTSD. Yeah, and so you were able to integrate a lot better. And also, I was going to say, your wife having you read stories and video for your daughter, I think, is fantastic because we could go into childhood attachment and yeah. all the people whose parents have gone. Yep. Uh, abroad or overseas when mm-hmm. they were little and and missing that attachment figure. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's important. So I appreciate your thoughtful responses. And I like how you are really, um, I see you always aiming to look at the light and the shadow and both yeah. sides <laughs> of the argument. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that brings us to a little bit more. Is there anything else you want to say about why you got into counseling before we jump into Medify? Um, no, I mean, I think the reasons why I got into counseling are very different than why I'm doing counseling now and even how I'm doing counseling now, right? Like, I think originally it was a lot of how do I help people? How can I be an expert in this field? And how can I kind of be the authority to dispense goodness (laughs) kind of thing? Right, right. And now it's it's much different now. Now it's more of just like I'm a fellow traveler. I'm in an authentic kind of an attached relationship with these people and trying to really empower them to be who they need to be. Um, and I'm much less the expert as opposed to just a fellow traveler and helping people uh, look at things that they don't traditionally look at on a regular basis and kind of creating a safe container for them to look at these difficult things with another person um, at the same time so they can feel that it's it's also safe to look at these things and deal with these things um, and not be rejected for, for this the shadow uh, side that they have. That they, that's, they often don't even share with like their significant others or or brothers, sisters, parents, whatever. They've never shared it before with anybody, and that's a scary thing, and it's an honor to be able to do that. It's much different than uh, what I originally thought it was going to (laughs) be. Yeah, I definitely can uh, identify with that, um, the transition to where I'm at with counseling now, and um, it definitely opens up your eyes, I think, sitting with people for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. since I've been licensed has really opened up my 
eyes and mind to that, just making the space, and you're a guide, and not so much a guide, but a fellow traveler, but only a guide in terms of framing and perhaps oh, providing some resources and some education so that they can figure out um, what they need. Mm-hmm. And then also just kind of being alongside and honoring the journey. And I think it's interesting being in the, this is also a show for counselors and psychologists too, (laughs) but being in the community of counselors and psychologists and then also my wife's a doctor and just hanging out with a bunch of doctors all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm always talking about deep stuff. I mean, maybe not my own personal, personal journey. We aren't sharing that all the time, you know, while we're having dinner with everybody, but, but really talking about these deep topics. And then when I, sometimes I forget, I have to pinch myself and use my mindfulness skills in the middle of a session because I'll come in on Monday morning having had all these conversations with other professionals all weekend. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'll remember that for the person sitting across from me, this is not normal yeah, no, to, not to talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. like my secrets or I'm struggling with something um, that maybe, you know, I struggled expressing myself with that very topic 15 years ago when mm-hmm. I was leaving home or whatever. Yeah. And, and then going, okay, wait, Come back to the moment. Mm-hmm. Come back to the moment. The moment is here. This person, you know, that uh, it's called the other mind problem. Yeah. Where yeah. we don't, we forget that other people don't think like us. And so every Monday morning and uh, before I go to work, I, I taught this in one of my trainings was I really try to make a time to reorient where I am mm-hmm. personally um, and to remember whoever's coming in. I've got to honor whatever material they're bringing in, whatever they're, wherever they're at. Yeah. Meet them where they're at. And slow down. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because us counselors, we always want people to, we want to have people feel that freedom, that we want them to make their, meet their goals. We want them to get out of the toxic relationship and into a positive <laughs> yeah, yeah. relationship. We want them to find the job. But we have to go at people's pace because there's, there's always uh, a tension of the opposites. Yeah. Part of me wants the new job. Part of me is so fearful to even try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants to get out of this abusive relationship. A part of me is attached. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to honor that. If we push too hard, we're going to lose people on the way mm-hmm. or sound like some sort of guru or teacher, which is the exact opposite of what counseling should be. I think it's also important for counselors and therapists uh, to really be doing their own work because um, in that relationship, I mean, there's two people in the room you as a therapist are going to be affected. Like you can't help it because it's, it's a human relationship. Um, so when somebody talks about something, it's go, you're going to have some kind of a relationship with what they're talking about. And if you're not self-aware enough to be like, okay, that's mine. I need to put that on the shelf and stay here. Kind of that mindfulness thing that you were talking about, just being aware of it. Or that's mine and that's appropriate to bring into this and what is and what isn't. And I think that's really where the self-work comes into play is because I think there's a lot of people out there that can, are doing this type of work that are not necessarily aware of how they're showing up in the room mm-hmm. and how that's impacting the therapy. I agree. I think that um, on the extreme end, there are people that haven't done the work mm-hmm. and they're just preaching out of textbooks and uh, prescribing and giving you assignments without asking permission. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've run into that as why I made the joke that I won't refer to people that don't go to counseling. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, <laughs> uh, but that that's the extreme end. But I think even on the, those of us who are doing our own work, I go to mm-hmm. therapy um, on and off chronically. I, I go to different people to try different things. Yep. Um, and uh, because obviously we are the asset of the business, it's not yeah. like we're a computer that needs a tune-up. We're a person. Yeah. 
So it's really hard to take people to places that you're either a haven't gone or b aren't willing to go on your own. I agree completely. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say just on a sort of human level uh, for our listeners that your therapist is doing the best they can, hopefully. Yeah. As, with what they are mm-hmm. not, and if they aren't, you, you might need to talk to them about that, or you may need to find a new therapist if they're not willing to have the humility to discuss that with you or something that you don't like. I appreciate feedback. I think people are terrified to give feedback, but yeah. And I think that's something too, like that's been a change in from, I think I started to learn towards the end of my internship that I really need to be inviting them into uh, this relationship more of, as opposed to me just saying, okay, these are your issues. These are things we can do about it. It's really more of a two way street. Like if I'm going down paths or kicking over rocks or whatever that they're just not ready to do or don't want to do, or just they're like, I don't understand why we're doing this or whatever. Like, that's not a connected relationship. I think probably 50% of the time in therapy, and this, that's probably an over It's okay. We make up statistics yeah. a lot, so just go with it. This, this is a real one, people. Yeah. <laughs> a, 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 a large portion of therapy is just getting reoriented and reconnected with each other. And then another portion of it is maybe kind of repairing those ruptures that may have uh, been caused by being being not connected and then the other portion of it is we're connected and we're we're moving forward and we're and we're making changes and and uncovering things and and really figuring out how this is this this shows up in your life and what you can do differently and all that kind of stuff but a lot of it is just how are we doing this relationship and if i'm not aware of myself i can't do it right (laughs) absolutely so two comments on that comment number one if you want to know more about why counseling is effective and what ben is talking about go to episode two of the intentional clinician where i go over (laughs) all of the research about why how why counseling works and what are the common factors in making it effective which are exactly what ben just discussed and secondly i think even for us therapists that are doing our own work it's a constant battle Mm -hmm. not a battle well sort of a battle every morning to remember to reorient and then throughout the session to reorient ourselves so that we are going to be the most effective for the person and not being timid on um, making sure that whatever intervention we've chosen is the right one. So a lot of one of the things I've done a lot is since I've done lots of different types of therapy and I do EMDR therapy, which some people like and some people don't, and I do mindfulness-based uh, cognitive therapy, which some people like and some people don't, and I do narrative t- therapy and I've been trained in career counseling, I, I a lot of times I'll, after I identify the person's goals, I'll ask them, okay, so here's the different types of therapy I do. What do you think would be the approach you want? Or do you just want to kind of figure it out as we go and talk and do that talk therapy thing? So I've found that that, has been helpful, but also confusing for people because I think sometimes people want you to be directing it all. So then that's another thing. Do you want me to be more directive? Do you want me to be kind of more sitting back and like letting you take the lead? And it's odd because even if you're clarifying all that, oftentimes people may think they want one thing and then they want another. And I mean, it's the same thing we go through. We're not always sure what we want, but um, I would say it's important to, as a clinician, to contemplate all of these things and to be checking in with yourself at least weekly, if not daily, on how am I doing. Yeah, or moment to moment. moment right? to, well, yeah. sure. <laughs> I meant more of a, you know, like, you know, journaling. But yes, yeah, yeah. moment to moment, I agree, yeah. in, in our minds. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you go with that. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I think you're, you're right in, in the sense that we need to, to be constantly kind of reevaluating and, and figuring out how we're showing up um, and then connecting with our client to see what they want. I think, um, are you familiar with Martin Buber at all? 
Um, Only in name. Okay, so he has this con- I, thou, I, it concept. Oh, yes, never mind. I know about that. Keep okay, going. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think in therapy, it's really easy to take a, a, a theory or a, a style and, and say, this is how we're going to do it, and kind of project that onto the client in an I, it kind of a way. And the way I, I understand I, it the most is I have a relationship with it, and I have an, uh, an outcome that I want it to experience. Sure. So you're objectifying it. I think therapy can quickly turn into that if the therapist isn't really constantly being aware of how am I showing up with this person. To be effective, we need to show up in an I-thou way where I'm fully human, you're fully human, whatever comes up can come up, and we're not going to reject each other for that. Um, Just really, really allowing that person to show up fully. Um, Once we start to project uh, something onto them that we want to have happen, People, I think, feel that at a kind of a gut level. I don't know if they necessarily understand it, but they do react differently. Um, and I think clients often come in with a certain agenda or a goal, um, and I think that's often a cover. <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. for, it's it's rarely ever what we start with is what we end up really doing um, because once they realize that, okay, this is a place where I can go anywhere, I can really get at the roots of this stuff, the the goals or the symptoms become less important and it really gets down to kind of the core of what's going on. And then those symptoms tend to kind of take care of themselves after that. But that only happens with an I-thou relationship, I think. Exactly. And that actually, yeah, so that makes me think I, I had talked about framing the therapy by yeah. bringing in different techniques I use. So once I start the techniques, I always have it like 8,000. I disclaimer almost yeah. every yeah. session. I say, remember, this is about what you want. Yeah. We can interrupt this process at any point. Also, I don't have any secret agenda, yeah. and this is if for EMDR. This, whatever you're processing is okay. Mm-hmm. There's no th- nothing I'm looking for. Don't yeah. filter your answers for something I want. Just give me exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. At, same thing with, with narrative therapy because I almost feel, yeah, you have to kind of be in that moment where while I'm using this frame of therapy, at any moment, I, this is just a frame. This is not a, uh, a manualized step-by-step process to convert you into my way of thinking mm-hmm. at all i'm more interested in what you think than what i think mm-hmm. and i'm only using these sort of markers as tools to give us language to what we're doing yeah um and also with the i thou that is takes a lot of work and to really take down our defenses absolutely as being the <laughs> person with the master's degree in yeah. the room and i think that can be scary for us and something to think about because everyone's going to bring out something yeah in us, and that's called counter-transference yep. for those listeners. And some of the most powerful sessions I've had is when I didn't catch my own thing. Sure. And, the, and because we have a good enough relationship, the client can be like, that feels shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and I can be like, you know what? You're right. And I can take ownership of that and show a healthy way to, to own my own shit. Um, and then that person can then again kind of feel like, okay, good. I don't have to take care of him in this situation. Um, he can take care of himself. I can. He can own his stuff. I can own my stuff, and we can meet in the middle there. And I think that's I, because no therapist is going to be one hundred percent perfect one hundred percent of the time, right? Like not even human. close. Yeah, I think we're about close. we're about twenty percent yes. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So go ahead. I, I, it's just the more that we're willing to own our own stuff um, and let them own theirs, and then just meet there. I think I think that models really good a really good behavior and really good mental health but then also just helps other people feel really comfortable because part of our society is always taking care of other people and not really knowing what's going on and all these defense mechanisms and all that kind of stuff. So we got to, the more we can take those down and create a container where that doesn't matter anymore, that doesn't have to show up. Um, we can a look at them, 
and really understand why we're using them, but then B, we can just show up in a way that's much different. And then if we can practice it in here, uh, maybe we can start to do it a little bit more out in the real world and be, show up more intentionally and authentically. I agree completely. We have gone from global socio-political <laughs> issues <laughs> to the micro micro yeah. therapy. Uh -huh. And I almost feel like in a way what we're doing in the I thou relationship is we're speaking the unspoken. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a lot of times we'll be having, I don't know if you've had, of course you've had this experience, something like this. You're talking to somebody, you know, mm -hmm. and in the back of your head, there's all these other conversations that you kind of want to bring up and say, or, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know that, uh, that shirt really bothers me. Or you know what? Actually, Ben, that Michigan State shirt makes me nostalgic for mm -hmm. my university that I went to. Mm -hmm. But I also have these also negative feelings towards my university and mm -hmm. uh, some of the experiences. And now they're all flooding my brain right now. And I'm not yep. going to talk about this because this is not my therapy session. But we all have associations. And, and so when we're with the person, letting it be known that you can take off your filters and be safe in this environment. But it also gets very dangerous because... If, if as a therapist, we've helped somebody get so uh, open in our space and then we <laughs> screw up, which we will, mm -hmm. um, that can be taken as a, a, a sanctuary trauma or a wound. Yeah. Even if it was just something we said flippantly, um, we weren't, you know, being in the moment or being mindful at that at that particular moment. And and I really hope our clients would say something and, and some have and I've and, and in that moment is a chance for reparation because in. Often in our relationships in our life, um, not everyone in our family has PhDs in emotional awareness. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times people have experienced when something negative did occur with an adult in their life or a friend in their life. I'm an adult. We're all adults. But what I mean is an elder. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, they were forced to take the blame and take the hit and mm -hmm. the people wouldn't admit uh, what they did. Because yeah. there's always, there's always a, a bit of both. Yeah. And, uh, fall on either side, but especially as a child growing up, um, sometimes let's be let's face it: the adult is the one who erred big time. They're mm -hmm. the one with the experience, they're the one with the age and the wisdom, and then they put that guilt on the child yeah. further. So I feel like that's kind of coming out in the micro of some of what we're doing. So I really appreciate your attention to detail, mm -hmm. and I can <laughs> see that that's probably very valuable for all of your uh, clients you work with. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> it seems to be, so I, I appreciate so. Your, your words on that. Absolutely. So I think these topics are going to keep coming out as we talk about your current work. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess in my, my current work, I've really been drawn to um, Diana Fosha's work, uh, AEDP, which is Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. Um, and I think it's kind of... Uh, uh, sneakily named <laughs> in the way that the accelerated doesn't necessarily mean that the therapy itself is accelerated. It just means that the, the relationship between you and the client is accelerated or the connection or the attachment or anything like that. Let's break this down yeah. further. Okay. So <laughs> I, you were starting to break it down, but I kind of want to really break it down for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about what that means to your average person? Yeah. So um, I, I come from kind of a point of view that the relationship is, is, the be all end all, I guess, in, in therapy. I mean, even research tells us that regardless of whatever approach you take, as long as there's a good relationship, the client tends to, to improve. Actual statistic? Actual statistic. Here we go. Ninety <laughs> percent yeah. is the is the relationship within different elements and only about eight to ten percent is the frame that mm -hmm. you use. Although if you don't have a frame, yeah, exactly. Then you're screwed. Yeah. So please have a frame uh, and ex and help the person understand, which is part of it. We have alliance 
allegiance and rapport as mm-hmm. the three main common factors that take up that make up for the greatest treatment effect in counseling mm-hmm. again episode two so I just wanted to put that out there for the people. This is actual research. Yeah, this yeah. is not mm-hmm. our opinion. Yeah, it's the strongest okay. research that we have yeah. in the field. So. About 10,000 meta-analysis or studies that were meta-analyzed came up with that. And there's more and more uh, every year basically showing the same result. Yeah, it just so. keeps getting reconfirmed and reconfirmed. So Yes. Um, and so I think that's where AEDP really kind of starts is, okay, the re- if the relationship is everything, how can we accelerate into a a deeply connected attachment style kind of relationship that's healthy. Um, so we, the way the ADP really does it, as far as I understand, I've only taken the initial uh, training on it. And actually next week I'm going for the next level of the training. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> Seriously. I yeah. want to go to this training. Now. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, but basically you, you start with just really uh, Foch's big quote is make the implicit explicit, make the explicit um experiential and make the experiential relational um so that's basically kind of how that the overall how you get into i like that so much that i really want you to say it slower okay (laughs) and explain each part of the sentence okay so i'll say the whole sentence and then i'll break it down so it's make the implicit explicit make the explicit experiential and make the experiential relational so what she means by the implicit is just anything in the room that's going on so you're sitting with somebody and a topic comes up and you start to notice that the client is starting to fidget or get really uncomfortable and you can see it, but nobody's talking about it. Um, and that's kind of what happens in the real world, right? Like there's an elephant in the room. Everybody just pretends it's not there. And in therapy, we want to make that implicit stuff that's going on really explicit. So it slows it down as far as the narrative piece of it, but it accelerates the connection between you and the client. Example. I'm sure you have an example. My example is um, I found that that works sort of reading the energy of the person. Yeah. And I remember um, I, I, I always try to check in about how people were feeling on the couch. Mm-hmm. Am I too close to you? Am I too far away from you? Yep. Um, if they looked cold, I always have a blanket on my couch. I said, you can put the blanket around you. Also for women coming to my office, if they're wearing a dress, they may want to put the blanket over their knees. So I say, hey, if you want to use that blanket mm-hmm. to, you know, for, for whatever reason, yeah. you know, Go ahead and use that. And I felt people, I remember multiple times, a lot of people say, oh, I'm fine. I'm just actually, I have to use the restroom or I've got to go get a drink of water. And Mm -hmm. I didn't tell you that. It's almost like they were afraid that I would lose respect if they paused the session. But other people, when when I've mentioned some of these things, it has been almost a breakthrough. Oh my gosh, thanks for asking about that. Mm -hmm. No one ever, you know, asked that. And they were obviously uncomfortable and didn't, maybe didn't feel safe or whatever their pattern is not to talk about it. So I remember one time, I'm just going to just go right there to one of my therapy sessions in 2005 when I was in therapy. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was getting a lot out of the therapy that day. And then I was fidgeting because I really had to go to the bathroom. But mm-hmm. we were like making all this progress. And then I started to kind of like almost look angry, I suppose. And my mm-hmm. therapist said, are you angry about something? Is something coming up? Like, what's going on? I was like, I really have to go to the bathroom, yeah. but I don't want to leave because then it's going to have to go down the hall yeah. all the way around because it was a skyscraper in chicago and the bathroom is so hard to access and i was like i don't want to lose 10 minutes of therapy let's just i'm fine so white knuckle our way through it (laughs) but it really you know it made a difference to me that she actually cared and could read that yeah so so yeah and i think that's a really good example and and the implicit can be anything that's going on in the room yeah i was just talking about physical yeah you could be talking about yeah there's physical there's emotional there's relational there's uh oftentimes we have statements or just kinds of turns of phrase that are pretty common in our society 
and if it's it just doesn't feel like it fits in that moment or they're using it to kind of like cover up something that's kind of bigger you can really start to call that out and really kind of dig into that a little bit more so that's making the implicit explicit and then you move from making the explicit to experiential so when you make it explicit then you kind of instead of going into the details and kind of the narrative of what's going on with that you really you stop them and get them into their physical presence and their physical being of how it feels to move from the implicit to the explicit so what is it like for me for you to have me ask about that what is it like for you to feel that what is it like for you to uh, dig into that a little bit deeper what's the emotion what is it how does it show up in your body all these different things because that gets them that gets them to descend from just their head down into their body because most of us tend to, especially in western society tend to live just kind of from our neck up everything is conceptualized and experienced in our heads and we don't really pay attention to our bodies and there's a lot of information that our bodies have to tell us um it's kind of that right brain left brain approach right Exactly. So I want to ask you, I'm going to make a statement, but I want to ask you about an example, if you can bring up an example of working with a client where that worked. But mm-hmm. I want to quick say, um, I read a lot about uh, interpersonal neurobiology, which is sort of this, it's not really totally a field, but it's a topic that Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel, is kind of spearheading. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole Norton series on it with a, a lot of neuroscientists, uh, psychiatrists, um, brain researchers. And in some of that research, what I've been reading is, you know, you know, our brain is not just in our head. Now, we think of it as just we're living from the neck up. And what you meant was people aren't having body awareness. And I know for yeah. years I didn't have body awareness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I started going to yoga was because people are saying, you know, you're slouching, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're hyperkyphotic, mm-hmm. uh, which is w- what a lot of people have where your neck is kind of down and mm-hmm. you're slumping your shoulders and your back is starting to round in some way. That's not healthy for future living mm-hmm. or even now present living. And so I started to get more body awareness, but the brain is not just up there. It's the brain is connected to our, our nervous system and all our, the nerves running throughout your entire body are yeah. sending information down and then, and then receiving information up. It's a two way street. So yeah, the vagus nerve and all that stuff. Exactly. So an easy example is a child. You're about to take them to somewhere new and they say, my tummy hurts. My tummy hurts. Um, a lot of times for some people, anxiety can show up in the, in the stomach yep. area. Um, also stress can show up in the shoulders or the upper chest. Mm-hmm. And this is something I use in EMDR, of course, and other types of therapy. I say, so can you locate any sort of feeling when you talk about this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? You know, so I have to show them the body scan and how you can scan and, and slow down because sometimes we're so much in our thoughts that we're not aware of that we're living in a body. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's scary to live in their body if they've mm-hmm. experienced a trauma. Yep. Um, or they don't like their body. They don't like their body. I know for me, I, I think that was an issue when I was younger because I was kind of like this scrawny little straw dude. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, was not big like some of my counterparts. And so I think that I lived in my head for a number of years mm-hmm. before embracing my body. And I think that's, we're always somewhere in the middle anyway. Um, but I wanted to see about an example of of making the explicit experiential that you found. Yeah, so I'm not going to use a client. I'll use actually from something from my own life. Because sure. I think that's, I can get a lot more detailed with that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so I, my thumbs, my thumbnails, for the longest time, I had these little ridges that went right down the middle of them from as early as I can remember. Um, and they were just, it just looked, it was gross and embarrassing. And if you look at any pictures from two years ago or before, 
and you could see my hands, my thumbs were always covered because oh. I was embarrassed by it. Right. Um, and through kind of mindfulness and body awareness type work, which this is before I knew about AEDP, but just kind of stumbling into it on my own, I started to really recognize that when I get anxious, I tend to dig my forefingers into my nail beds on my thumbs. Oh. Um, and that's kind of how the anxiety was kind of coming out physically for me. Um, so I brought a lot of awareness to that. And whenever I would feel that going on, it would tell me like, oh, you're anxious. Take care of yourself. Um, do what you need to do to, to unwind or whatever in that moment. Real quick, did you develop that or was that later that you learned to self-talk yourself into being aware of your anxiety and then bringing yourself to a non-judgmental place? This was kind of, of like I was learning it as I go throughout this whole thing. Oh, okay. Um, and there was, I mean, I had gone through some mindfulness trainings and different things like that and read about, a lot about this different stuff and just started to practice it because, I mean, that's all anything is, is practice, right? Like, sure. <laughs> you just keep it's trying. all practice, yeah. And then over time, I started to recognize that, like, oh, my, my thumbnail is growing out again, and there's not the ridges. And so it was really cool to see, like, every couple of weeks, it, that little thing, that little area that didn't have the ridges was just getting a little bit wider, a little bit wider, a little bit wider. And then to now where there's just, there's no ridges anymore. It hasn't been that way for the last couple of years. And it's just because I'm paying attention to how anxiety shows up. And when I notice it, because it's easier to notice what's going on in the body than just kind of what's going on in the head sometimes we're so good at kind of tricking ourselves but if i can feel that physical sensation in my thumbs where i'm digging into it that's a real big red flag for me that like oh i'm anxious <laughs> i need to do something and so i think that's one of the big examples in my life and it, there's countless examples with clients and things like that but like if you feel something going on in the body and you know what it is that can be a real big indicator of like oh how can i show up differently in this moment kind of thing so I think that's that's a good example of how it can be helpful for people. And learning to listen to the body without fear. Exactly. And interpreting what yeah. it is. I think that also takes some education because I think yeah, sometimes it people feel things going on in their body and then they stay up to four in the morning uh, Googling things on WebMD and yeah, freaking yeah. out yeah. and re, you know f thinking they have a disease. Um, so it's important to kind of get some education and get some skills around around that yeah it's body trust right like i think there's this whole movement starting of like intuitive eating and body trust and mm -hmm. awareness and all that kind of stuff but i think is really good and help healthy in the sense that like just because you feel something that is unpleasant doesn't mean it's bad or wrong um it's not something that needs to be fixed it just needs it's just something that needs to be in a healthy relationship with so you can move the body in a direction that it needs to go or do something with the body that it needs to do, or stop doing something with the body that it needs to stop doing. Right, and if we break away a lot of the stories around what we're doing and a lot of the fear around it, I think people actually can read their bodies quite well if they so are too. given the tools and the space, uh, especially with intuitive eating and just knowing when to sleep. I mm. mean, we're, we're in our, I believe what we're talking about is quite countercultural. Yeah. Because uh, so in America, too. you sleep when you're dead. Mm -hmm. You wake up and give Red Bull another shot. You, you you have to drink coffee, and then at night, after you've worked for 12 hours, you, you can have some wine to slow yourself down. So yeah. we're constantly... I mean, this is, of course, a very hyperbolic statement of comedic proportions, but uh, in a way, we're constantly given messages shift. through marketing that right. we are we can make ourselves into machines, whether it's through CrossFit or eating mm -hmm. or... Um, you know different things and so we've lost connection so we we sometimes lose connection with what is our body telling us i know my body told me last night you should go to sleep yeah you're really tired and i said i know body but i really think that if i go to sleep right now 
I'm going to get the 10 hours of sleep you want me to get because I've been lacking sleep, and then I won't have any time to get all this stuff done that's yeah. on my to-do list. So I'm going to just stay up and get the absolute least amount of sleep I can function on after several nights of not sleeping, which is about eight hours, sort of catch up, and then I'll go interview Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so we made a deal. My body's like, well, you're going to regret this. <laughs> and sure enough, it was a foggy morning and uh, needed a lot of coffee. So anyway... That was my personal example. Yeah, next, yeah. Now to the whatever your comments are, the next portion. Uh, yeah, so we were at what? Exp- uh, Making the... Explicit experiential. Experiential. So then right. you make the experiential relational. Um, so as the person is really kind of digging into themselves and understanding how this experience is playing out for them physically as well as mentally and emotionally, um, there's an attachment opportunity there for, for the, the therapist to really be like, and so what is it like for you? Uh, to have somebody point that out or to have somebody bear witness to you doing this this, this process. Um, and oftentimes that can be, um, like, this scary, right? Because we don't, they, it's something that's new, it's something that we're not good at, and somebody's witnessing us and inviting us to it. Like, there's that whole, I, I forget who did the study, um, but it's uh, kind of the black and white checkerboard floor, and then it drops down, oh. there's another black and white checkerboard floor, and then there's like a, uh, a plexiglass thing yes. above it and then there's a baby on the side of the floor and the baby comes right up to the plexiglass and won't go over because it's scary mm-hmm. because it thinks it's going to fall um, but if you put a secure attachment figure on the other side of it and the attachment figures kind of beckoning the baby the baby will take that risk and kind of go across it and i think that's what we as therapists really are is we're that secure attachment figure that the experience or the left brain the the logical part of our clients is saying don't walk onto the plexiglass because you'll fall and hurt yourself but if they lead with the experience and they know that they have a secure attachment with us and they trust us, they will, they, will, they will come when we beckon them to kind of come across that chasm and to take that risk. And then they won't fall because repeatedly over and over and over again, we've demonstrated to them that we're here, we're safe, we're going to do things. And if there's something that I do that, that I screw up, I will take ownership for that and I won't put that on you. So they trust us to, to make that leap or to, to crawl out onto that plexiglass. And I think that's... That's what therapy is. <laughs> risk-taking. Kind of, yeah, risk-taking. In a way. But the other part of our jobs with this whole AEDP portion is, like, there's a window of tolerance that our clients always have. Wait, wait. Explain that more for the listeners. Window of tolerance, you mean emotionally. emotional. Yeah, okay, an so emotional explain window. the window because you're mm-hmm. gesturing there's a low part and a high part. So yeah. can you explain what you mean by that? So on the low end of the window of tolerance, there's just, like, you maybe not feel much. Maybe there's just a little bit of kind of a feeling going on. And on the high end or above the window of tolerance, you're starting to get dysregulated and you're kind of spiraling and you can't really you can't really experience this in a way that's healthy. So dysregulated would mean we're getting very escalated. We're possibly yep. feeling manic. We're possibly feeling um, yeah, we're yeah. screaming. It's Jerry Springer style. Yeah, exactly. And on the low end, we're it would shouting, be yeah. mm-hmm. almost like shut down or in bed all day type of thing. And, and so is that what you're saying? Like, I think the low end is more just there's not much of an experience going on. Oh, like I see. You're just kind of there and it's just like, yeah, but it's not really. So we're not talking there. about escalation versus depression. We're more talking about um, kind of numbed out. Yeah, just like, I mean, I'm sitting here and if you ask me what I'm feeling, I'm just like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty content. There's a little bit of anxiety and nervousness because I'm on a podcast, but <laughs> and I know there's a there's a microphone here, but it's not like so high up the scale where I, I can't function or I can't speak or I can't think. Sure, and I think that's kind of the low end of the emotional kind of window of tolerance. If you get to the high end or above or outside of that window, I'm just going to be like shaking and I'm going to be stuttering. I'm going to be like breathing really hard and shallow and short, and I'm just not going to be able to have an intelligent conversation. 
Um, so us as therapists, our job is to keep them inside of that window of tolerance, but as close to the top to where you start to kind of trip over into that dysregulation as we possibly can, because that's where the most amount of the emotions are happening. And that's where you can really start to kind of work with what does it feel like to be dealing with this right now. And as we're dealing with that, if we're a safe, secure person, they know that they can get closer to that because we're going to bring them back. Um, we're not going to push them over that edge kind of thing. Um, and that's where I think emotions, there's there's uh, Siegel and Fosha have, and there's one other person that did the book with them, but they have this whole book about the healing power of emotions mm-hmm. and how you mm-hmm. feel that and how the wiring, wiring in the brain and the body kind of fire together in those moments to create uh, healing and um, uh, transformance in those moments. And I think that's what our job is to do, is to help them kind of step off that metaphorical ledge onto the plexiglass and come to us, but also do it in a way where they're feeling it at the same time. So they know that it's safe to feel these things. <laughs> it's okay because they're just messages from the body. Like emotions are just messengers. They're not bad or good. They just are. And if we look at them as these are good emotions, I want to chase these, and these are bad emotions, I want to resist these at all costs, that gets into a, uh, a really unhealthy dynamic of a relationship with the emotions. If we can look at them as a way of, like, these are just messengers, some of them are more pleasant than others, some of them are inconvenient, but they all have meaning and they all have uh, something to teach me in this moment about how I'm showing up, then I think that's a much easier way to live overall. They have a place. Um, interestingly, in my last interview, um, Sivy was discussing that the something about a study where the average human emotion will last about 12 seconds if left alone. Yep. But most of the time we're too busy trying to shove it down mm-hmm. or explain it away or categorize it. And I wonder, does that have something to do, here we go global again, does that have something to do with our society? And I mean, you hear these stereotypes of like the stoic males who say, mm-hmm. I don't have emotions. Yeah. And then when they get angry, they're breaking windows. Um, and that doesn't look like emotions at all, maybe anger, but I mean, does this have anything to do with the way we've been socialized, um, in our, in our current society to not, I don't know, deal with our emotions so much, put our heads down, go forward, work, produce. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty macro scale and I'm not an expert on the macro scale thing. Sure. Me neither. (laughs) But my my gut my experience on the individual level tells me that there's some truth to that. Like, I mean, males are definitely socialized to be a very specific way, and females are socialized to be a very specific way. We live in a culture that is male-dominated and that it very much privileges the male experience. Um, and But there are some downsides to that where there's certain emotions that you're not allowed to feel. But those because of there's the healing power of emotion, because we need to experience all of the emotions to be fully developed and integrated humans, that when you start to say these ones are okay and these ones aren't, that it does shut down things and we have to, like, whatever we repress and, and resist mm. is going to pop up someplace else. So I think that's why you see a lot of male violence and, like, I mean, if we're going to get really topical, like, there's a lot of a lot of the, the terrorism that happens in the United States is is from males. And I think that is a lot of just repressed shit <laughs> right. that's coming out that, that, I mean, that is coming out in ways that are very unhealthy and very destructive right? Um, because they have no place else to do it. And our society doesn't allow men to, to, to kind of experience or display these emotions. Right. So we're sort of talking about, and those are extreme examples. Obviously. These are extreme <laughs> examples, obviously, because that's what we know um, mm-hmm. in terms of, because we're both not experts on uh, the giant part of the culture that we're discussing. Mm-hmm. We're kind of experts on uh, the one mental one. health and the one-to-one <laughs> yeah. and how that, affects everybody but 
we can certainly see examples of how this is playing out. And so having the education and awareness can help people be more who they are. We are not trying to make people into something. We're yeah, not trying not to take the average American male who may have been told by his dad that crying is for women mm-hmm. and that he must not display sadness, mm-hmm. um, only anger. We're not trying to take him and, and make him into someone he's not. We're just trying to make him more of who he is, and that means more integrated. Yeah. So I do believe that it didn't... Uh, I do believe this is my little... If I had my druthers, I would put an emotional <laughs> education class taught by both genders throughout elementary school, mm-hmm. middle school, high school, also understanding family dynamics class, yeah. mm-hmm. also understanding who you are class. I would love to put those in the American public and private education system because I believe that um, we would have a more integrated society and a, and a more friendly society. And I think that would really help. I don't know uh, who's going to provide funding for that, but if you're out there, give me a call. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know if the consumer-driven culture or uh, really wants people to explore their emotions, uh, but they might want to get their needs met through you know buying different products. That's a whole nother podcast we won't go into. Yeah, much but more macro level. <laughs> we're at the macro. So let's go back to the micro. Yeah, I just had to comment on that. So uh, the ADP again stands for our listeners. What is it? Accelerated Excel- Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. I like it. I'm going to have to memorize that. That's a lot, but everyone can put that into Google if you're interested in yeah, learning yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about more about that and how where where that's bringing you in your work. Um, it's. I mean, before I. So is this a good time to just get into Metafy? Because it's gonna. Sure. Okay. Cool. Let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> so let's just start off kind of how I came up with Metafy. Like my my track for therapy has been just diving much more deeper into the relationship kind of a psychodynamic approach for a long time um and one of the things that i just kind of stumbled on on my own was that hey if they do get into the body a little bit more this becomes a lot easier because all the emotions are in the body on some level um and if they can be in good relationships with those therapy tends to go a little bit easier so early on in the therapeutic relationship uh, regardless of who was coming in male female regardless of their socioeconomic background, their gender identity, their sexual identity, anything like that, uh, their race, whatever, everybody was coming in just from the neck up again, kind of uh, just in their heads. Um, and nobody was really paying attention to their body. And like, well, geez, this theme is across the board. Um, so I started to really start to work with clients and just be like, okay, cool. Well, what have you, how are you feeling? Where are you feeling that emotion? And just trying to bring awareness to the themes around it. And I was talking about these themes with uh, Brian Nixon, my counterpart, or the, the founder of Mindful Counseling, where I work. He was like, yeah, I see that a lot with clients too. And we were just kind of joking around, but like, it would be great if there was an app for that, for people to just track these things, because these things are hard to track. <laughs> right? right, that's true. <laughs> um, and so we were laughing about it. And so I just went back to the to the app stores on my phone. I was just like, I wonder if there is. And I kept finding apps that were mood trackers, and but they would only look on the mood or at the mood on a scale of good to bad. Which, from where I come from, if you look at your emotions or mood as good to bad, that gets you in a really bad relationship with them because it's it's good or it's bad. And if it's bad, I'm resisting it and trying to get it to go away. And if it's good, I'm trying to chase it and experience it more. Which, for emotions, I want to feel all of them. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> so these mood tracker yeah. apps. I just like I would never have a client use these because I don't want them to think that anger or fear or sadness is bad. I want them to 
to understand what the what anger, sadness, and fear are telling them, or anxiety, um, and how to be in relationship with that. So I was like, well, that would be great if there was an app that just did that. And I was like, well, cool. So let's start to develop in my head what this would look like. So I started to just kind of sketch things out on paper and came up with Medify, which is just a three-step process. You identify the actual emotion that you're feeling. And then on the second step, you identify where on an outline of the body you feel that emotion most. And then the third step is what's going on in that moment. So you can just, you can label it or tag it with like work or spouse or yoga or uh, whatever or anything you could yeah. even you could uh, what i found is that not only can you tag it with you can tag it then you can write your little journal entry about yeah. specifically what's mm-hmm. happening which the the is really helpful for uh, kind of regulating your emotions is kind of writing it down and kind of getting involved with that so there's just those three steps right I identify the emotion i locate the emotion and then i attach it to whatever's going on in the moment so for the people out there on their phones right now as long as you're not driving you can yeah. go to the app store and download medify it's mm-hmm. free m-e-t-a-f-i yep i actually found i love the simplicity of it mm-hmm. and i'm sure you're coming out with new features but it was not some sort of ridiculous video game uh, yeah, you, no. you try to identify the emotion, and then there's a a, a picture of a body, mm-hmm. um, front and back, that you can just touch on there where you sort of felt the emotion. Mm-hmm. And then there's deeper categories. So once you identify sort of the overall general category of sadness, there is grief and all these yeah. other different um, emotions that are sort of sub-emotions yeah. or more specific. And then I could find that on the map, and then I could tag it, like, what's happening and then I took my journal entry. It was interesting when I finally did it um, a few times. I, I thought, wow, that feels kind of relieving. And now I can mm-hmm. go back and look at that later because you're right. If you don't capture it, it's going to go. I mean, that's yeah. why we oftentimes tell people to journal before yep. they go to bed mm-hmm. is you have all these great thoughts from your day and all these experiences. And if you look back on it in a later day, it could really inform you of mm-hmm. how far you've come or where what you're growing what you're going through but it can also in that moment act as a safe way to um get your feelings out in a healthy way mm-hmm. journaling and then using or using metify as your journal yeah is very healthy and not destructive yeah. versus if i'm feeling very angry uh let's see in america alcohol is legal so i could just go over to the cabinet and pour a giant scotch and then fall asleep drunk yeah, yeah, yeah. or mm-hmm. i could um I don't know, go on YouTube and write really hateful things about people or or if I was angry or, you know, all these sort of things we have options to do or we could actually just take, fi- I mean, it took me, one of my journal entries took me five minutes because I was really in an intense situation, mm-hmm. but one of the, my journal entries on Netify uh, took me 30 seconds and yeah. I was like, oh, I feel good and I've logged that. Cool, I can go back and look at that later. Yeah, and that was an intentional part of the design of it is we wanted it to be like you could do it quickly or you could spend a lot of time with it depending on where you're at and what you're doing. Like we wanted it to be something that could be, that could kind of fit with whatever your, was going on in your life at the time. And then the next part of it that's really helpful I think is the history. So then you can go and after over a little bit of a time when you start to have some entries in there, you can go into your history and you can start to break it down by either what you tagged it by, by the emotion, or the emotion, and kind of see, okay, where am I experiencing anger most often? And more often than not, at least with my experience and the people that I, I tested it with, 
anger tended to show up in the same place over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, and they're like, oh, cool, sweet. So when I start <laughs> to feel that there, I know I'm angry. <laughs> kind of like right. my example with my thumbs, right? Like, oh, that means I'm anxious. So it was really kind of helpful for people to like just take a look back and be like, oh, there's patterns here. Um, and we actually just last week introduced a new feature to it, which requires nothing on the, the, the part of the person doing the entry. It just automatically happens on the back end that whenever you do an entry, it will also pull the weather pattern. And you can oh. break it down by weather pattern as well because we know like sad and all that kind of stuff, especially here in Michigan. Seasonal, Seasonal affective, affective disorder. disorder. Yeah. yeah, especially here in Michigan right? where it gets gray all the time come November or October um, is really going to be helpful for people to do it. And then you can also break it down by date. Um, so you can look at like this Christmas versus that Christmas or November versus August and kind of see what the different patterns that are going on because we're seasonal humans, right? Like we live in a, on a seasonal planet, um, so we tend to show up seasonally. So I think it's important to bring awareness to that as well. Absolutely. So bring, raising the awareness can lead to all sorts of things. Uh, it can lead to insight. It can lead to just getting out your feelings so you feel better mm-hmm. in that moment. It can lead to um, actually, if you really want to get into it, it can lead to behavioral changes. Mm-hmm. It can lead you to, to questioning why am I doing certain things? Why am I at this job? Why mm-hmm. am I in this relationship? Uh, why am I not taking a vacation to Arizona right now when yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really cold? <laughs> because that's what I plan to do here next month. Um, um, what is it about the weather that bothers me? One of the things I found with SAD, if it's not, this is, by the way, not researched, but I found that some people, of course, lack the vitamin D, which yeah. is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's going on medically or something else medically is going on, obviously talk to your doctor or your naturopathic doctor and find out what's going on but a lot of times people's moods are can be influenced by the weather just by the light yeah and but it's not just that it's the perception and it's the memory yeah. of maybe yeah, the body remembers <laughs> something that right so, so i remembered i i'm really enjoying this kind of cloudy weather we'd had mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago because i lived in arizona for nine years and it actually I used to, when I was growing up in Michigan, I used to dread it. And so I would beg my parents to let me go down and see my grandparents in Florida Mm -hmm. for a a week or two. And then I would end up liking the cold weather more, kind of like the opposites. Yeah, yeah. But I found myself really enjoying it after seeing the sunshine perpetually for nine years. Um, and, And I realized that some of my negative associations with the weather were just maybe from my adolescence, growing up and feeling like I was trapped, like I couldn't Mm -hmm. take a vacation. And I couldn't until I was. 16 or 17, my family was so poor, we hardly ever went anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and for other people, maybe it, the weather pattern could remember a time, especially around the holidays, brings up a lot of family members, maybe a, a hard, difficult um, relationship or, or trauma that happened to them mm-hmm. and, and the way the weather was. Yep. Just like smell, olfactory is one of the greatest um, senses for bringing up memory. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, your app does not track smell, so I want to get off yeah. that. But I know that <laughs> it's a hard one. To, we haven't figured that code out quite yet. Right. If we can, if you can do that, and it can sense the smell coming in through the phone, then we know it's in, we're in 2050, and we've somehow got there. But I know that, for instance, certain smells can bring us back to a place. But I love the fact that it's it, your app is so simple, but yet it has so much application depending on what you want to use it for. And maybe if you start mm-hmm. using it for one thing, it will actually end up being useful for something else yeah just like therapy yep (laughs) all day every day (laughs) so tell me about some of the other features of the app that we haven't gone into 
I mean, there's not a lot more on it. There is a section called Metify Tools that we really haven't developed out. There's a kind of a deep breathing exercise that you just kind of follow on. That sure. Thing. You just you hold down the screen and it just does a countdown for your breathe in, a countdown for holding it, and a countdown for your breathe out. Um, and then it'll direct you to do an entry at that point too, just to kind of again kind of get into that. What was the experience like for you doing that kind of thing? Um, we do have some other plans for things, but I mean. It, it's getting expensive, so <laughs> so I'm <laughs> so I'm kind of kind of sit back and let and see kind of what happens with it. But it, it's it is a free download. There are some in app upgrades that you can do to kind of like flesh out some of those um, those analytics that you can pull out on your own. But overall, the free version of it is kind of is just as helpful as as most people need. So. And it's also confidential. Yeah, confidential. Um, it does. I mean, the information is saved on our servers, but like I I can go into it. Um, but the, anything that you journal or whatever, like I can't see that. So it's the only thing that you you have to to put into the app to um, to get a profile in there is just uh, an email and a password. That's it. So if you're paranoid about people getting any information, just make a fake Yahoo address. We've yeah, all done exactly. it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm not afraid of that. I've put my name on there, and I I know Benjamin is a person of integrity. He's not going to read your journal entries, and he can't even see them. So yeah, I can't. We it's set a it up very. To where I can't. He so. can't <laughs> set it up so he can't, and and it's uh, encrypted and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I've really enjoyed using the app, and I think it's a good tool, especially that it's on our phones because. We're always with our phones. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we, if you've read the news or lived yeah. in the United States in the past 10 years, you've noticed that people are walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the zombie apocalypse isn't coming. The phone apocalypse is coming. <laughs> yeah. I do think we need to start, and this is not a joke, I really think we need to start like a sort of technology anonymous mm-hmm. uh, group. I don't know there might already want to be out there because yeah. uh, a person I knew was joking about how everyone was showing up at the AA meeting with a phone addiction mm-hmm. um, because it trigger is dopamine in the same way a lot of um yeah and it's things avoidance, we can right? put in our it's avoidance right yeah but i love how if you put metify and you download it on your phone like right here i can say oh check it out i can go on facebook and waste my life away looking at some sort of curated content that somebody else made or i can go to my book and read that or i can look at the weather or shoot i could actually think about something with myself and so yeah. then it brings us back and even if i don't go into your app i think okay why am i on my phone Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Why am I on my phone? What is the point right now? And I think the other thing that's great about having it on the phone is if, if somebody were to do this with a journal or something like that, it's it's hard to do that in the moment. Like if I'm walking down the street and something pisses me off or I see something really cool and I want to kind of uh, metify that experience. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go, branding. Yeah. <laughs> um, I It's hard to like, oh, wait, let me get my journal out. Let me get my pen out. Let me write all this down. Because I can just whip out my phone and do what I'm doing, and nobody knows what I'm doing because oh. everyone's constantly on their phone. So it's a little more confidential, I think, too. So you can be a little more, uh, you can be a little bit more detailed in that moment. Yeah, I mean, being on your phone is sort of an excuse to, you know, do anything to avoid social mm-hmm. interaction. But it's also acceptable, apparently now. Uh, well, it's not totally acceptable, but because some people get. You'll see lots of blog posts. I saw a family and they were all on their phones at dinner mm-hmm. and not talking. What is happening to this world? Yeah. You know, I've seen that. But I, what I mean is that, you know, if you have to, like, go into the nearest cafe, buy a moleskin notebook and pull out your your, your pen, that, that just took half an hour. Or Medify yeah. takes a minute, two yeah. minutes, and you're done. You're there. And mm-hmm. it happened. And since the phone has sort of become an extension of ourselves, um, for better or for worse... Um, go where the people are at. <laughs> let's uh, let's use it for good. Mm-hmm. So, how did you come up with the name Medify? 
Well, originally the name was Mibo, M-I-B-O for mind and body. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> and this is part of the entrepreneurial side that like you just you just figure things out as you go. Um, and we did that, and we tried to log it. Um, what do you call it? The patent or whatever, like that. Sure, trademark. Trademark. Yeah. So we tried to get the trademark on it, and then there's some medical device for like with the eyes or something like that that's like, kind of obscure and no one's ever heard of. Um, but the guy that owns it was like, no, you can't use that. So we, we got a nasty gram from his lawyer that we couldn't use that name. So we kind of went into a tailspin. We're like, crap, like, <laughs> what are we going to name this thing? And we just like threw all kinds of names at the wall and just did all kinds of stuff. And um, I was like, well, meta, that means like kind of self-referential. Sure. And so that kind of makes sense. And then all apps kind of have like Fi or whatever. <laughs> right. So we're like, well, Metafy, that works. And it was available and uh -huh. we were able to get the website. And we actually did the website Metafy.me just to kind of like really drive home that point that it's right. about yourself. Um, so it just, it, it just kind of fit. And we actually kind of, I actually kind of like Metafy a little bit better than Mebo because it's, I, I do think too. it says a little bit more about like, this is about you. Like you're, you're, you're paying attention to yourself. You're referencing yourself. You're getting into yourself a little bit more than Mebo, even though Mebo is great because it's mind body. Sure. Mebo is cool, but I like Metify much better and I'm glad that you now have Metify. And yeah. <laughs> it, it reminded me of meta awareness. So yeah. that's the moment when you're sitting there and if you've had some education and learned some things about your emotions and your thoughts that um, you can actually, as a human being, we can observe our self thinking mm -hmm. and yep. we can observe, observe ourselves experiencing emotions. And that is a great freedom we can have um, where we don't have to fully identify with the emotions or fully identify with the thoughts. We yeah. can experience them. And that brings a lot of relief. Yeah. I think a lot of people grow up, including myself, identifying with the, whatever thoughts are in our head and getting really scared about what the hell is happening up there or identifying with our emotions so much that we, we don't like emotions and we want to get rid of them and throw them in the trash can. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this app can bring out that we can sort of befriend these sensations or come alongside them and see it as part of the human experience. So while this Metify is about me, um, just for the listeners, this is not to promote narcissism. This is to promote better well-being. Yeah. Because if you have better well-being yeah. and self-awareness through therapy or through Metify or whatever, you are going to treat other humans with dignity and respect possibly more because you are more aware of what you're doing. Yeah, and you're showing up with more intention and authenticity in the world, which the world's a better place when we do that. <laughs> right, and it, it's difficult to do so, but mm -hmm. it is. I agree. So um, Metify dot me if you're a www fan <laughs> or just go to your app store or whatever they call it on android and type in m-e-t-a-f-i and yep. you can download it right now yeah uh but then don't stop listening okay <laughs> <laughs> just joking so, uh, so yeah as i was kind of developing metafy like that's kind of what led me to aedp because i was doing kind of the psycho relational psychodynamic approach and mm -hmm. really integrating the physical awareness in the body just kind of as my own thing um but as I was developing Metafy, I'm like, okay, this feels like it's just me. I need to have kind of a something more to, to back this up to make sure this is good. So I started doing research around that kind of stuff, and it kept coming across Fosha's work, and she's worked with Siegel and all kinds of other people. Um, so I started to look at her AEDP Institute and all that kind of stuff, and I was like, oh, geez, all these videos and trainings look amazing. And so I took one of the trainings, like, this is perfect. This is exactly who I am. <laughs> like, this just aligns with me, like, almost 100%. And it's very much kind of what's going on with, with Metafy. So that's kind of how I kind of backwards stumbled into AEDP. And that's kind of where my work has really been going with clients. It's just, it was it was nice because this was just kind of affirming that like I was on the right track <laughs> as far as who I was. I was being authentic with my clients and how I approached the work. Um, 
but it was it was nice to have kind of like there's a ton of research like AEDP has a ton of neurobiology behind it, a ton of attachment theory behind it, all kinds of research that goes into it, mindfulness component and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think it really plays into that kind of Martin Buber, I, thou, I, it kind of relationship as well as just showing up for the experience and being curious about it as opposed to labeling or, or trying to have a certain outcome with it. And so for the skeptics out there um, and who haven't, who have never experienced therapy or experienced learning how to live with yourself, this is not easy. At first, it can feel very yeah, dysregulating, uh, dysregulating <laughs> yeah. or uh, disruptive, and uh, it's easy to be dismissive. So um, if you are out there and you want to try this, you can find someone maybe through the ADP certification or somebody who's, who's really trained in, in this type of therapy and um, uh, learn, learn to befriend yourself in a way. And even if even if it doesn't feel comfortable, because whatever your goals of therapy are, this will be able to bring you to be more in line with your values, more in line with um, where you want to be in the world and what you want to do. And actually, and I think um, even though this involves a lot of practice to Mm -hmm. get there a lot easier, because I remember before I went to therapy and before I learned body awareness and did yoga and things like that, life was kind of difficult yeah. and I didn't know. So it, it takes practice just like anything to be good at piano or shooting a bow and arrow or running. Yeah. They, you put hours and hours into that, but we're not putting hours into understanding our emotions, our, uh, where the emotions are in the body, uh, what our thoughts mean, what, where they come from. And so therefore that can lead to a lot of, uh, difficulties. And again, even if you get to these levels, you're still going to we're all human. You're going to have yeah, moments practice. where this isn't going to work and some moments where it is going to help you. So there is not a magic pill. Yeah, there isn't. And I think really that work, just to kind of sum it up really nicely, is it's practice. And it leads you from living a life of just reacting to things to just responding with intention to things. And that's really what kind of this whole thing is about, is how do I respond authentically and with intention so I can show up the way I want to and I can have the relationships that I want to have and I can do the things that I want to do instead of just reacting to defense mechanisms or other things that are going on because it feels bad. (laughs) Right. And it can, this, I mean, this could go anywhere. This Mm -hmm. could go into work of creating boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, This could be go into work of getting out of a toxic situation. This could go into work of just increasing your well-being. This Mm -hmm. could go into work of parenting. This could go into work of having a relationship with someone. This could go into work of pretty much anything. So I, I love I love that this is kind of a back to basics mm-hmm. yeah. uh, approach. And oftentimes, um, you, I, I think that we forget the basics. And yeah. I remember I'm a play piano, and I remember I was trying to learn all these jazz pieces in, in, in my twenties. And my piano teacher said, "Okay, you're really good at this sort of vamping on jazz, but you." you you forgot your scales and your your <laughs> yeah, technique yeah. and so mm-hmm. you're messing up your wrist on your left hand and mm-hmm. so she had me go back and play all these boring scales which is dun, 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 mm-hmm. you know going up the scale i can't even do it right now cause it's too early in the morning <laughs> but uh doing that improved my piano playing by 50 percent because mm-hmm. before then i was just trying to do what other people were doing i was trying to do it by imitation it's kind of like i'm watching TV as a child, and I want to become Michael Jordan. So I go out there and try to do all these fancy moves, and I break my ankle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> versus maybe I should learn to dribble for a while, which is really boring. Maybe I should learn to just shoot free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a way of 
really getting in tune with what's happening and and um that can lead to all sorts of change so uh, a lot of people maybe listening to the show want to change and you can but it does take work and it is not often great fun but mm-hmm. i actually had fun with metify because it's an app yeah <laughs> so i appreciate you sharing metify with the world um and I think that it is a fantastic extension of what you're doing and quite an accomplishment to be able to translate very detailed micro concepts of counseling into an app. I'm kind of astounded by that. Well, thank mean. you. Yeah, it was it was been really fun to kind of come up with, but I appreciate it. It's nice to, to, to have that recognized. <laughs> yeah, seriously, in an app that I actually like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I've actually saw some of those mood tracker apps and it's like, Anger, bad, sadness, bad. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's like, like who pick made a smiley this? face or an angry face? Like, like, uh. like you, it's good to identify if you're angry or, or or happy, but but to label them is just putting you in all in more pain. Yeah, to compartmentalize those things. So, mm-hmm. okay, what else do you want to say about Metify before we get to the lightning round or whatever you want to say about yourself? I mean, we said most all we can say about it. Just please download it. You can. It's a free download on both iOS and Android devices. Like us on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. Please download it. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. You're welcome. And uh, we're not done yet because, as listeners know, I love the lightning round, which has nothing to do with lightning or rounds, but I just like to say that because I was a fan of game shows in the 80s. So this is... Do I win anything? uh, You get nothing. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Sorry. You get the... Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like saying that. You might win something. I think I have candy hidden in this office somewhere. Um, Dr. Bessel A. Vanderkolk is an expert on trauma. He wrote The Body, the Body Keeps a Score, which is an immensely difficult book to read. But is awesome. But is amazing and everything. It's everything. Brain, brain, mind, and body and the healing of trauma. So he's talking about trauma, but I almost wanted to get rid of the paragraph. He was talking about befriending the body and talking about trauma. And just talk about anybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to get rid of the trauma thing. That's a whole other podcast. But physical self-awareness is the first step to releasing the tyranny of the past. And I would say, and, that, and that's his words, mm-hmm. whatever the past is for you. Yeah. And he says, in my practice, I began, I begin the process by helping my patients to first notice and then describe the feelings in their bodies, not emotions such as anger or anxiety or fear, but the physical sensations beneath the emotions, pressure, heat, muscular tension, tingling, caving in, feeling hollow, and so on. Mm -hmm. I work on identifying the sensations associated with relaxation or pleasure. I help them become aware of their breath, their gestures, and movements. All too often, however, drugs such as Abilify, Zyprexa, and Seroquel are prescribed instead of teaching people the skills to deal with such distressing physical reactions. Of course, medications only blunt sensations and do nothing to resolve them or transform them from toxic agents into allies. The mind needs to be re-educated to feel physical sensations, and the body needs to be helped to tolerate and enjoy the comforts of touch. Individuals who lack emotional awareness are able, with practice, to connect their physical sensations to psychological events. Mm-hmm. Then they can slowly reconnect with themselves. Thoughts? Uh, yes. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Ding! <laughs> yeah. Lightning round. I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, that's basically what Metify is, right? Like, it's connecting your emotional experience with your physical results, and ex- as well as what's going on in your life. So, I, I mean, the Bessel van der Kolk's work I love... Um, I do think, and I think he would agree with this statement too, but sometimes taking medication can be an act of self-care and can be a good oh, thing. Oh, sure. Um, but I, I, I think it's a band-aid or, or a bridge as opposed to a long-term solution. 
Right. And so, yeah, again, I've said this on this podcast before. We are not anti-medication. Yeah, not at all. Medication has its uh, place. However, I am anti-medication in the terms of it is the overall only solution for you and you must yeah. be on it for the rest of your life. Anybody who's telling you that does not know brain science. Yeah. Brain science shows that the brain is dynamic. It can change um, and over time can heal or whatever you want to call it to be into a new way of thinking. But it does take work. Mm-hmm. Taking a pill is not work. It is an easy thing to do. Um, however, it does have a lot of side effects. However, an antidepressant, if you're really in a rut, in a brain rut and feeling terrible and you need to get on one, get on one. It yeah. will help you, uh, especially for a few months, to help you get into a place where you can do these things. So if you're really suffering, absolutely talk to a psychiatrist or go find a naturopathic or a doctor of osteopathic medicine who actually specializes in research-based yeah. alternatives to mental health treatments. Because if you're really in a rut... I mean, and you're super, super down and depressed or having uh, reactions from PTSD, just doing Medify and going to a few counseling sessions may not be enough for you. Yeah, exactly. So um, we want to say that. So um, let's see here. Lightning round. Boy, this is a little slow. Okay, I'm going to just go with Dan Siegel, our friend. Dan Siegel, MD. Uh, awesome psychiatrist. He is the best. I don't know. I'm just going to say this. He's my favorite psychiatrist. Yeah, he's awesome. Ever. And I've seen him speak two or three times, and he is amazing. And he is so far ahead of the curve. Yeah. And we have a, a lot of catching up to do. Counseling, I think, is starting to catch up with uh, the findings of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Psychiatry, some psychiatrists are up with it, but I think a lot of psychiatrists are stuck in the 70s. Um, and that's why they're telling you to take pills forever. So I'm just going to quote Dan Siegel here for a second. What does integration mean for the brain? For the brain, integration means that separated areas with their unique functions in the skull and throughout the body become linked to each other through synaptic connections. These integrated linkages enable more intricate functions to emerge, such as insight, empathy, intuition, and morality. A result of the integration is kindness, resilience, and health. Terms for these three forms of integration are a coherent mind, empathetic relationships, and an integrated brain. Your thoughts? I mean, again, yes, right? Like, <laughs> ding! Like, there's not much I can <laughs> right. add to these guys. Like, these are people that we're standing on the shoulders of doing this work. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of these things. But, yeah, I think it's the more that you engage uh, these different ways of being in the world, more and more synaptic connections get made, and it just reinforces that this is a better way to show up. It doesn't mean the other synaptic connections go away. They're no, still there. exactly. And we can find ourselves on those. But if we can bring kindness and compassion to ourselves when we find ourselves there, we can then just bring ourselves back to the other one. We just keep doing that over and over again, and that's the practice of uh, just being your best self. And so that works for health, because, mm-hmm. um, and that's on a personal level. So I'm going to read this next quote by um, Dr. Dan Siegel, because I think that what we're doing on the micro level can affect mm-hmm. uh, relationships, families, and then greater communities, and possibly... The work we're doing, I'm, I'm hoping I'm working with future leaders mm-hmm. in this country yeah. because we need leaders with morality, intuition, empathy, and insight more than ever. So here's where this bridges the gap, I think. Dan Siegel says, this highly integrated field is not a division of one particular area of research, but rather is an open and evolving way of knowing that invites all domains of both academic and reflective explorations of reality into a collective conversation about the nature of the mind the body, the brain, and our relationships with each other and the larger world in which we live in. And he's talking about interpersonal neurobiology here. Mm -hmm. 
This emerging approach is fundamental to exploring the range of human endeavors, including the fields of mental health, education, parenting, organizational leadership, climate change, intervention, religion, and contemplation. Knowing about the way the focus of attention changes the structure and function of the brain throughout the lifespan opens new doors to healing and growth at the individual, family, community, and global levels. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like that last statement there. I mean, there are brain scans and studies that show that people that do meditation, just mindfulness meditation, like it literally changes the structure of the brain. The prefrontal cortex gets a little bit more thick. Uh, the kind of the, the reptilian brain portion <laughs> gets a little uh, less uh, less dominant, I guess, on these scans. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take much time. I think uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misquote this, but I think it's like six to eight hours of cumulative meditation. Yes. it's That's when you can actually start to see the results. This, yeah, the stats I was looking at in an article I have on my webpage was there's multiple studies they've done this on, mm-hmm. but 20 to 25 minutes a day of practicing yeah. intentionally for only about 60 to 90 days changed brain scans. Yeah. Also blood pressure levels. Yep. Also cortisol levels, mm-hmm. which is your stress hormone. So um, there's multiple ways to go about. There's so many, you don't have to just be meditating and sitting there yeah. and doing that. Although that's a good way to start learning it, yeah. to learn how to focus your awareness and get those skills down. I would possibly say to start there, although I'm not an expert on that, but then you can actually bring this sort of attention where you're focusing your attention and self-awareness and meta-awareness mm-hmm. into your everyday life. Yep. Um, it does involve checking in with yourself and not always, you know, eating cereal while you're driving your car on the highway, we kind of have to slow down a little bit, um, which is, go ahead. And I think that's a really great thing that neurobiology is starting to give us is recognizing that we've known for a long time that you can change the the physical body by lifting weights, exercising, all these different things, but you can literally change your brain fit, like the physical structure of your brain and how it shows up and how it connects and how it uh, interprets things just by doing certain types of uh, activities. Um, on a a regular basis just like the body which again goes back into the mind and the body are so connected and they kind of reflect off of each other quite a bit so if we can change the body we can change the brain which then again changes the body which then again changes the brain (laughs) so it just keeps it's this cycle that keeps going and if we can intentionally put ourselves on this this type of cycle we can show up in the world a lot better than if we're just kind of reacting to things right and I think that is a fantastic way to start closing down this podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Ben. And I think, oh, thank you. I think I I want everyone to download Medify if you've got room on your phone. (laughs) Uh, I think it's great. And even if you don't use it right away, one day you might find yourself Mm -hmm. uh, wanting to use it. Um, And it's there. And at least we'll, there's at least one healthy app on our phone. Uh, (laughs) So, there's that. And um, let's see, I think it was great talking about all these topics from the micro to the macro. And I wanted to uh, have our listeners, so you've got your app, but what if people want to work with you? Uh, you can you can go to our website. It's mindfulcounselinggr.com. Um, and that's obviously here in Grand Rapids, um, so you'd have to be local. Right. <laughs> so it could be that way. Um, uh, so, and there's a number of us. I think there's 11 therapists there now. Um, and I would highly recommend anybody there if you want to, if, you, if you're in the area and you want to start kind of del- diving into this stuff. Um, you can obviously use Medify, follow either Mindful Counseling GR or Medify on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and yeah, just start diving into the work. If And quite frankly, if you can find any therapist anywhere you're at out there in the world, um, just make sure that it's a good fit first. Um, just find a, somebody that you can feel comfortable with. 
and then just start doing the work. I think that's the most important thing. I agree. Uh, and yeah, I think Ben and all the practitioners there are fantastic. And if you're not local, find somebody you feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. a non-judgmental space to start exploring some of these things and work on your goals because change is possible. And one of the tricks of the mind is to tell us that change is not possible because yep. we can't foresee the future. Mm-hmm. So that is a that is a trick of the mind. And um, it's also not true. Mm-hmm. Change is possible. And the more work we put into it, just like anything else, will help us become more of an expert on ourselves and therefore able to um, live your life more in the way you would like to versus the way that you've you know, been told to live your life or, or the way you've become, ended up yeah. becoming. Right. Mm-hmm. So excellent. All right. I think we're wrapped up here, Ben. It was great talking to you and I yeah, look absolutely. forward to maybe we'll have you on the show again in the future. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Awesome. Cool. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. I sure learned a lot from him and I think he's a fantastic clinician. I've also really enjoyed using his app Medify. It really brings you to a whole nother uh, level of relationship with yourself and how you feel. I think it's awesome. It's a free download if you have a smartphone, so check it out. If you're in need of counseling, I also provide counseling here in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Health for Life Grand Rapids, which you can check out the website at www.healthforlifegr.com. And we have five other clinicians here that do different types of counseling. So check out our webpage. We also have two naturopathic physicians from Arizona who are here providing education in Michigan until the naturopathic bill gets passed. If you're in need of counseling, don't hesitate to make an appointment with your local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with myself or one of my associates by checking out healthforlifegr.com or paulkrauscounseling.com. I also provide counseling supervision to a select group as well. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss, and while these are based upon the literature he has read and his experience in the field, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on the subject. This also goes for the opinions and experience of Benjamin Reisterer. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And if you are not in Grand Rapids and would like to work with somebody, please research a local counselor and find someone that works for you. All right, until next time. I'd also like to thank Grand Rapids and worldwide recording artist Types for letting us use the outro music. You can find Types at tttypes.bandcamp.com or typesmusic.com with two T's, tttypesmusic.com. Thanks so much. childhood food uh pizza <laughs> i was a big teenage mutant, ninja, pizza? I was a teenage mutant oh. ninja turtles fan so <laughs> teenage mutant ninja turtles did more for the pizza industry <laughs> than i think football did yeah however absolutely. i feel that they don't get any credit for it no they don't it was in their video games 
I mean, they, I mean, think about the cross promotional opportunities that we yeah. have now that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles missed out on. Well, they were punk rock, right? Like they were throwing all kinds of crazy toppings on there. It wasn't just your typical pepperoni and uh, maybe pineapple. That's true. Didn't they have crazy. like like, <laughs> like ice cream and anchovies? Ice cream anchovies, like weird, like seaweed. No, maybe that was. <laughs> maybe I'm thinking of something else. 